Jesus, the one who arrived in the manger, the one who arrives on the altar, the one who will arrive at the end of the age, is king. He is God. He is the God-man savior of the world. And Mary, the most blessed of all women, is the queen mother and the new ark of the new covenant. So there is on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as you've already seen, a marked emphasis on the blessed Virgin Mary and, of course, the blessed fruit of her womb, Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. The prophet Micah, uh, over 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, prophesies that the Messiah, the King of the Jews and the Lord of the world, will be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you remember from our series on the life of David, you've got to go way back in the recesses of your memory. There are two cities in Scripture referred to as the city of David. The first and most often is Jerusalem, which was the capital city. The other is Bethlehem, which, is the pl- which was the place of David's birth. So both David and the royal son of David, the Messiah, come forth from Bethlehem. And the Messiah is the, quote, one who is to rule Israel, that shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. This is regal, kingly image that Micah is using in his prophecy. And remember that in the ancient Near East, shepherding equals kingship. Far and away, the most oft-used metaphor for kingship is that of shepherding. So the, the one to be born in Bethlehem is king. And this Davidic king of whom Micah prophesies is divine. His, quote, origin is from of old, from ancient days, or in the King James, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew text, the word mekidim, here here rendered as from of old, can also be translated from the east. And in the ancient world, the East had divine significance. That's one of the reasons that temples faced East. As an aside, both the temple and the royal palace faced East. And the palace was to the south of the temple. So when Solomon the natural son of David, sat on his throne in Jerusalem, he was at the right hand of God. Just as the eschatological son of David, Jesus Christ, is now seated at God's right hand in the heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus is the Davidic king. Jesus is the divine king. And Jesus is the Savior King. In Micah 5, we read that his rule brings security 
and peace. What is it? We all know. What is it that the angels sing when Christ is born? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And the peace which Christ brings, first and foremost, is peace with God. That is the forgiveness of sins through his shed blood on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice for a second that it doesn't say, the beginning of the reading, it doesn't say, David said, when quoting Psalm 40, the Old Testament passage being quoted in today's lection, New Testament lection, is Psalm 40. It doesn't say, David said, even though David wrote it, but Christ said. The Psalter is the original prayer book. It's the prayer book of Jesus. And when we pray the Psalms, we are praying with and in Christ, oftentimes in the person of Christ. So it says Hebrews 10, when Christ came into the world, he, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And that body was offered for the sins of the world, accomplishing what the blood of bulls and goats could not. And the humanity which Christ took up, the body which was prepared for him, was prepared in and through the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the Davidic kingdom, it was the mother of the king that ruled as queen, not the wife. This was the practice likely because of polygamy. They had lots of wives. They only had one mom. Thus, implicitly in Micah 5, she who is in labor with the Messiah is the queen mother because Jesus is the royal son of David, the king of kings. And in Luke's gospel, Mary's identification as such approaches the explicit. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, treats her as royalty and with deference, saying, And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? And perhaps the weight of Elizabeth's words and actions will come to bear if we consider for a moment the social disparity between these two women. Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, a high-ranking priest in Jerusalem. Uh, she's elderly, which in this culture meant something. It doesn't always come with it doesn't always afford you respect in our day. In the ancient world, it meant something. She's elderly, and in her old age, she's miraculously pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary, on the other hand, is young. 
perhaps as young as 15 years old. Mary is not, does not live in the Judean hill country. She lives in a podunk, contemptible town named Nazareth. Nazareth, 500 people at the most, probably more likely 150-ish, 200 people. Despised. Remember, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a Roman garrison. So it was a sign of Roman oppression, not, not everyone's favorite vacation spot. And she was betrothed not to a high-ranking priest, but to a virtually anonymous craftsman. But by the Holy Spirit, it's important to remember that when Elizabeth says, she's speaking in the Spirit, she's filled with the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary bears the child of whom the prophets speak. She's bearing the divine Davidic king. Thus, Mary is the queen of the house of David. She's the mother of our Lord. And Lord, throughout Luke 1, refers to God. And if you look at the identity of, of Jesus, the divine, the God-man, Savior, King of the world, then Mary is indeed the God-bearer. She is, as was enshrined in church teaching in the 5th century, the mother of God. But we can see it as clear as day here in Luke 1. What is Elizabeth called? The mother of my Lord. So Mary in Scripture is the queen mother, but in the Gospel of Luke, Mary is presented as such, but most pointedly she is presented as the new ark of the new covenant. The parallels, okay, so Luke 1, the parallels between 2 Samuel 6, where the ark journeys through Judea towards Jerusalem, and Luke 1, where Mary journeys to Judea to visit Elizabeth, are striking. The parallels are striking with regard to the structure of the narrative, the events which take place, the language employed. Real quick, I'm going to run through this. Okay, so 2 Samuel 6, 2. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. Luke 1, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. So a parallel, but you could probably, if that was it, you'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. It gets better. 2 Samuel 6, 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And then Luke 1, 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. It's the same Greek word for leap in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Same word for leap to describe David that's used to describe John in the Gospel of Luke. Here's where it gets really fun. 2 Samuel 6, 9. 
And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And then Luke 1, 43. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? One more. It's just so good. 2 Samuel 6, 11. I'll just ask you. You remember Uzzah touches the ark. He dies. David gets freaked out. He said, okay, we're going to put the ark in storage for a little bit and, and try this again maybe later. We didn't go about it the right way. How long does the ark stay at Obed-Edom's house? Three months. And how, here in Luke 156, and Mary abode with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Amazing. So there's a biblical uh, context for this, but theologically, as the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament contained the words of God, it contained inside of it the Ten Commandments, so did Mary carry in her womb the Word made flesh. And as the ark bore the manna, so did Mary bear the bread of life. And if the type and symbol was accorded so much reverence, I mean, if you touched the ark of the covenant, you died. How much more the reality, the person to whom it pointed. Elizabeth, speaking in the spirit, honored the ark of the covenant, honored the queen mother of the king of kings and lord of lords, saying, Blessed art thou among women. And blessed art thou among women is an idiomatic way of saying, you are the most blessed among all women. So the veneration of the saints, of Mary in particular, has its roots in holy scripture itself. Now Elizabeth, don't misunderstand, she doesn't worship Mary. Rather, she, and in this case, the child in her womb, John, adore and worship alone the blessed fruit of Mary's womb. The most blessed fruit of all wombs. So a proper honoring of Mary, if you will, leads not into idolatry, but into adoration of the crucified and risen Jesus. Mary says in her song, now known as the Magnificat, uh, she says not as an exhortation, but as a matter of fact. Henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. And we honor her, we call her blessed. Why? Because of the one she bore and for the faith that she put in the God whom she bore. And all of this is in Luke 1. First, we call her blessed because she is the God-bearer. She is the mother of God, not the mother of the Godhead. But the one whom she bore is fully God and fully human. 
We call her blessed because the fruit of her womb is the word made flesh. I mean, think about that. Amazing. Perhaps as young as, again, perhaps as young as 15. We don't know. She held in her womb he who holds all things. Mary, a creature, bore her creator. She bore he through whom and for whom all things were made. If that's not a blessing, I don't know what it is. So we call her blessed. But we also call her blessed on account of her faith. Luke 1.45 And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary was called to bear the word of God. And she said yes. She was absolutely surrendered to the will of God. She's the quintessential Christian and follower of Jesus. Be it unto me according to thy word. So we call her blessed, we honor her, but we also want to imitate her, to follow the example of the greatest of the saints, to follow her as she followed Jesus Christ. So let us, brothers and sisters, as we get very close to Christmas, as we prepare to contemplate the mystery of the Word made flesh, as we prepare for the arrival of King Jesus, let us say in our hearts with the Blessed Mother, with the blessed mother My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.